Hello everyone, you have Jake and Seth here, and today we are going to discuss the 1989 Joe Johnston film starring everyone's favorite Canuck, I hope that's not derogatory, Rick Moranis, sorry his name is Rick Moranis, I, and it's not, I hope that's not derogatory, just wanted to clarify for you Seth, you've seen a little bit there, um, sorry, back to the story, Honey I Shrunk the Kids, big hit, it made what it made 227 million dollars on an 18 million dollar budget that would correlate to a 457 million dollar profit or not profit box office today and it was like more than 10 it, it made more than 10 it was a huge budget. hit for the time like way bigger than the studio thought it was going to be it made more than 10 times its budget anytime your movie does that you're you're do, you're just doing gravy like that's that's the type of return that only horror movies can usually expect. And that's because they're being made for Kinect. So I think it was also, it was like the same summer as that, as the Tim Burton Batman. And it was like all the adults went to Batman and all the kids would go to honey. I shrunk the kids kind of thing. That's interesting. <laughs> I'll be, that's something that I'm going to, we should start looking into. I, I think that moving forward, I want to have when we're doing these older movies is look at what other movies came out that year. And at that same season, because I think that's really important to understand some of these movies like I, i'm gonna blank on specific names now but there are definitely there's, a, there's also movies that get swallowed up and don't you know that you know i remember like office space was a movie like that it came out some summer like where the matrix came out or something yeah. and nobody saw office space but then it just like killed on cable what about idiocracy idiocracy and then the other one that i always think uh, I, if i remember correctly the thing the classic carpenter movie yeah it came out at the same. There were three, four classic movies that came out the same summer. I think that was a. I think that was like E. T. Yes. And it was like everyone was like, "Let's go see E. T." Like no one wanted to see. The yes. Thing. It was, and I think The Exorcist too. It was something. It was competing on both for both like audiences in a crazy amount. It, it happens a lot, but so this movie yeah. was a huge hit. This is a film I remember. It was one of the one of our family films, and I remember going yeah. to. I think it was Orlando Studios where you got to ride the bees and they had some parts like where you can reenact parts of the movie. And I remember loving that with my sisters. That was like an early memory of mine. I want to say it was one of the first movies that uh, I watched that wasn't animated. Like it was one of the first live action movies. I want to say that I remember. That was one of the things that that I both remembered and really loved. And I think that was what made visiting the studio. was Orlando studios. So cool. And I think that's one of the reasons why I have such a strong connection to this movie because it's actually a tactile. Oh yeah. I actually, the movie ages really well because they have all these interesting effects and they're using stop motion and and real sets and not trying to do claymation and cartoons um or yeah the really set the set work is top notch in this all the stuff in the backyard all the shrunken objects it's like it's the best stuff of like set designers um they really it's like these kids get shrunk and for the majority of the movie they're walking their way from their backyard to their back door basically and it's it a, turns into this big jungle. <laughs> it's such a cool concept. The uh, the idea, it's, and I think that was like in the pitch, was basically what if your backyard became a jungle? Or like, yeah. or uh, something like that. It's a really cool idea. And one of the things that this movie does really well is I think with the set design, and there's some other things to talk about, it captures you and brings you in immediately. And even though it's like kind of far-fetched, and, and, and we just talked about a movie and talked about how stupid it was, and how like the far-fetched things work and the regular things right. didn't. This is a movie where they're bringing the everyday, like the banal, boring everyday world, combining it with the extraordinary in a way that feels organic and not forced. Exactly. And everything that derives from it, it works. And, and to me, at least, again, I have a huge soft spot, soft spot in this movie for my soft spot in my heart for this movie. But I think it works really well, and a lot of credit goes to Joe Johnson. But that's one of the things that we watch in this movie. It's really it feels like an '80s movie in the best ways, and yet it's aging. It's aged really well, which I think is very. I totally, I totally. One of my favorite things about the movie is what you just described. How it there's kind of this Norman Rockwell white picket fence Americana feel to both families, where you have one that's kind of more of the the more sports rough and tumble family the other one's kind of a more brainy nerdy type of family but they both feel very american very familiar and then like you said the through the plot of the movie it becomes the all these extraordinary circumstances happen in these two houses that seem very familiar and stuff but i like 
the, it's just like the depiction of the nuclear family in the late eighties. I, I thought was really good in the in this movie. I agree, and one of the things you kind of touched on was they do a good job of kind of differentiating between the two. And it's not political. When you're watching it with today's lens, it feels very political. But back then, I don't think it was meant to be. It was just the no, idea yeah. that it's, there's one guy who is like a hunter and big and rough and tough and played football yeah. and wants his kid to be tough. Right. And he's a little bit, I want to say, rough around the edges, but he's not a bad dude. He's a, he's a loving dad. He's trying to do his exactly, best. Exactly, yeah. And the other guy, you have Rick Moranis, who's really smart and maybe a little distant from his kids, but he still loves them. But he's just really caught up in his work. He's a workaholic almost. At least that's, I think, something that I took away from it. He creates all his inventions to do the things that he would be doing as a parent. And that's not, he's working. He's doing, that's not, he's not negative either. But again, he's a somewhat flawed character, but he loves his kids and he's a good guy. Yeah. And also, I really like the way, you know, obviously his son really looks up to him and tries to like be kind of a brainiac of his own. And it's like the other guy's son is like, you know, going through all this stuff with the football team and trying to live up to his dad's. And I just liked, the it's a much better representation of like parental pressure on kids than like sort of what you get in the breakfast club where it's like i was supposed to turn on the lamp or whatever and you're like what or it's like emilio Estevez is taping some of these bums together and everything in this movie makes much more organic sense when you see the kids and the parents interact and everything i think it was both more approachable and accessible than some of those other yeah. 80s films but but it's meant to be i think they handled it really well and one of the things i want to note was so matt fuhrer is the more macho dad and his eldest son, it's not like his eldest son is a macho. His eldest son just seems like a normal guy. He's not super like macho. A kid, yeah, like a normal teenager. But the younger son is like the dad writ small, and he's super macho. And what I think yeah, you're right. is, I don't even get it too much, the dad is more focused on the older son. And it's not like the older son dislikes him, but it's just his attention should, I think his attention should be better focused on his younger son, who clearly idolizes him not saying the older one doesn't but yeah i'm getting too far down this rabbit hole i'm just saying it was something i that was interesting that i thought and not that it's a critique of the fewer dad but it's just interesting and everyone knows that like there anyone who's been in a family like knows that there's just weird dynamics and relationships it, it's not they're just so it happens so I'm, I'm not coming down on them too hard but that was just something i thought of one thing uh i found to be funny I don't know if, I don't even know if it was intended to be funny, but it's like, so Rick Moranis is the scientist, he's trying to invent a machine that will shrink physical objects, and it seems like if it's, he's capable of this, it will be kind of a revolutionary invention, to me at least. Um, when he goes and proposes his ideas to uh, sort of an audience of other fellow scientists, they kind of laugh him out of the room and start walking out on his speech. And uh, I was just kind of like, why does nobody, why is no one interested in this idea? It seems like it'd be pretty, uh, you know, profitable. <laughs> Did he just sound that crazy that you can shrink stuff? What I thought was funny was the language they use is almost exactly the way they describe the shrinking technology in the Ant-Man movies. And I didn't, oh, have, really? <laughs> I didn't have time to research. I guess it makes sense. It's a similar concept. Sci-fi does that all the time. It's that's not. I'm not knocking one, but I. I wouldn't doubt that somebody read an Ant Man comic before writing this movie. Well, they must have. I'm sure if you're going to do shrinking science fiction, Ant Man and the Atom, there's a few characters that you would read. But what I thought was super interesting was I didn't have time to research for the movies at least what came before the other. But the other thing I didn't quite understand this company. Did he work there? Was he? Why did he have a lab? And my other I, know, I was sort of taking it as like he was an independent inventor and he was like proposing this idea to other people and looking for funding or something. I will say this. When he is asked for some type of proof to verify or so they can justify this investment, he asked if they asked Einstein for proof. And that just feels <laughs> like I'm being swindled. If you're, if oh, yeah. you're it wasn't a the greatest goods. presentation. I give you that. It was not a great presentation. Um, but I just thought it was funny how quickly they turned their backs on him. And it was like, well, what if it was a good idea? Like, maybe you should hear him out. I can't remember. I, I, I won't lie. I was, wa I was watching this, but I was kind of doing some other stuff in the background. Is there a reason he, why was it operational, but he didn't test it out or bring it 
for I'm very curious. It's, it's just so totally this is there. the other yeah, this is the other part of the science that I would kind of nitpick at. He's got this thing, he's got this laser device that the shrinking ray basically, and it's fully operational except that every time he tries it, you know, he keeps trying it on an apple and he turns it into applesauce. He can't figure out how to actually make it work. What happens is the uh the Thompson kid, um Oh, the ball what, like yeah, he hits a baseball through a window, and the ball ends up in the like lens of the laser. And so it's the baseball leather that's actually the key ingredient of the shrinking ray that, like, you know, all of a sudden the couch shrinks perfectly and the kids shrink perfectly. And it's like the key ingredient was apparently a Rawlings baseball. <laughs> okay, can I just say that once again, in this case, it's very clear. Marvel <laughs> borrowed so heavily from this. It's like when the rat releases... Scott from the quantum realm when the rat randomly walks on the device in Endgame. Oh, okay. I kind of know what you're talking about. It just looks like it's this, ran it's this random duex ma duex machina yes, moment. Yes, duex machina. Where, yeah, it is. Where it's like, a total oh, everything comes together perfectly. Like, okay, now right. now the science makes sense. Right. Yeah, oh, a baseball through the window. Although, okay, now, okay we're going to talk in this moment, moment, but Joe Johnston, this is kind of a recurring theme in some of his things. Because he did the Rocketeer, and they use gum to solve the issue on the pack. Oh, yeah, the that's... packs keep exploding, and they have a very <laughs> elegant solution in the form of gum, uh, and it works. But that was there's a recurring theme here in his films of something common or unexpected being the missing ingredient to a techno technological or scientific advancement. Yeah, that's true. I guess that's the theme of his. Oh, uh, it's just like. Yeah, I think you're right more so that it's just a deus ex machina because it's hard. To, I think it's hard when you're writing a script to like actually come up with a solution to a shrink ray. So you just kind of like say, "Well, baseball gets in there and then it works." <laughs> um, yeah, I found that. I didn't mean that. I was just kind of asking. I couldn't remember um, specifically. Yeah. But and also, yeah, it's like at the end of the movie, they get to do that miming game where they sort of have to explain to the dad that he has to like put the baseball in. That was the other thing. It was like. Not only does this shrink things, it brings it back to normal size immediately. I thought that was actually the more impressive part of the invention. <laughs> and that is explored in the following movie where they accidentally enlarge, I think, one of the That's kids. That's right. By the way, uh, in the sequel, he it blows up one of the children the size of a building. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, even in a Disney kids-friendly movie, that movie would end with as soon as the child is returned to normal his wife would decapitate him. Probably remove his head. I can't imagine any wife being totally cool. With you, you, no problem. A very dangerous uh, technology used on my newborn or my toddler. Totally cool with it. Just glad <laughs> you're okay, honey. Well, of the, uh, of the backyard sequence, what did you enjoy most? Was it the bees riding of the ant? Uh, the, the fight with the scorpion? <laughs> the scorpion fight is to this day one of the most it was one of my first memorable moments of death occurring on screen like along with bambi uh there's the uh, land before time i will say brooklyn did not take it lightly either she really liked auntie the character and was very upset when scorpion won that fight well i forgot that auntie was initially an enemy that they befriended <laughs> they had to train it yeah they, they had, to, had to train it but i thought and again I think it's Antony and Ant-Man. Right, I'm going to stop doing the MCU references. Clearly, MCU borrows heavily from all these 80s and 90s films. But um, no, the Antony's death to me resonates the most. I think there's a lot of really fun moments. And honestly, from the second they shrink down to the second they get up, it's all it's all gravy. But the anti-scorpion fight to me is big. Also, where are they? Where they're scorpions? I, I was kind of like, what backyard is this that has scorpions? I guess that's like the bees and the ant work fine. I might have gone with the spider as my other insect. <laughs> I think that would have been better. Again, I'm not. I'm, the scorpion's a little out of nowhere. There's shrinking like that, kids here, so I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get too lost in the details. But at the same time, I remember being a kid and being like, "Are there scorpions on the grass?" My parents were like, "No, like, no." That was a thing I thought of as a young kid and being like. Oh, also, yeah, my uh, uh, my fiance now. Excuse me. <laughs> she uh, when they find uh, when they find the cookie, she was like, "Oh, you can't eat that cookie." She was upset that the kids in there. They were all just like chowing down on the cookie they found in the backyard. 
just that because it was too much for that like from like a principled standpoint he was like what if it's like rotting or something and i was like i don't know i mean do you take a clean piece i don't know that's something only a mother and teacher would think of so that <laughs> may, that makes sense but that that would be the responsible thing that's also probably who knows what the chemicals are in there if it's processed it could be super deadly to have a bite of that that's actually a very <laughs> uh, now i'm a little worried about the cookie well, yeah, I also don't know how your digestive system works when you're shrinking and, and uh, expanding rapidly. I, does the, I guess the insides also, so I don't know. I won't think about that. I so. will say, though, I know I just chose it. The Cheerio scene, if I could do a tie, the Cheerio scene is, is pretty incredible. I, the, that's a great effect scene, actually, the Cheerio, because I think they actually put them in a giant bowl of milk to do that. I think they did. It looked really good, and I will also tell you this. It, for a long time, I did look in my Cheerios every time I ate to make sure there was nothing in there. That was the poster shot for the movie, yeah. I'm pretty sure. It was the, him looking at the magnifying glass of his Cheerios. Quick side story. There's another reason why. Around the same time, my sisters and I went to eat a thing of candied cereal or sugared cereal, and it had either been in there too long or we left it open or something. <laughs> Before we ate, we all poured our cereal and poured the milk, or maybe it was in the milk, whatever. Before we ate, my sisters like screamed, and in all of our bowls squirming around were like little oh, worms no. or bugs. And it was, oh. it's like one of those images that's still ingrained. I right now I can see it vividly. It is my oh, personal wing movie that like that's one of my again early favorites. But the Cheerio scene is probably the most iconic. But the ant fight is my favorite. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. I, yeah, like the the set design and all that stuff was great. Brooklyn, that's also like she was a little kind of like out of it at the very beginning when it's kind of all being set up. But once they shrink and kind of go on the adventure, she was like into it a hundred percent. Once they're flying on bees, she was uh, she was having a ball. So I'll say this: that makes total sense, and especially from a kid's point of view. And I actually yeah. checked when they shrunk because I the twenty the first twenty minutes flies by i thought they used those 20 minutes wisely i thought they shrank shrank sooner it's like an hour and 33 minutes but when you take away trailers it's true i forget minutes. there's a little bit of time but it's like i actually i enjoyed the setup too as an adult it works fine yeah it works fine because it's not just setting up it works they're like they're good scenes they're not drama but they're good yeah. family scenes they establish all the characters there's humor and it just sets the tone and that's something that's really important in this movie is the overall general tone uh, Even the little things like the, I like the scene of the one, the, the teenage son uh, watching the other like teenage girl dance, like, you know, through the window. And it's like, it's just one of those moments between neighbors where it's like, I kind of remember my, you know, like, you've ever had that moment where you look through your window at your neighbor and like, you just see your neighbor doing something and it's like super weird for a moment. Yeah. And it's one of those things where I feel like it, it could possibly not age well, but to your point. He's not looking through. He's not creeping on her. It seems no. He's just like at his house. Yeah. It's yeah like, it seems just, more innocent. It, it seems more yeah. innocent, and I know exactly what you mean. We lived. If you looked out our back of our house, we faced another house, and we both had yeah. windows. So if it was nighttime and the windows weren't drawn, you could look. You were basically we were looking at each other's houses. That sounds really creepy. Normally the windows were drawn, but I know I know exactly what you mean, and that's one of the things I would love to get your opinion. I think this movie, I was trying to decide between the quality of earnestness or authenticity, or if they're somehow combined, but it's something that this movie has, and it's what makes that moment, the awkward, when he's looking at her across the room, it makes everything work. And it's why you believe his science demonstration. It's why you believe the the macho dad bonding. It's why you believe the squabbling between the kids, and it's why you can believe all the bigger, crazier things, because... In each moment, there's something, and again, I didn't mention tone and authenticity, but there's something that feels very, no matter what's going on, it feels grounded, and it's grounded, I think, in the characters, and I think that's why those first 20 minutes are so important. It grounds you, to, it, it really works for the rest of the movie in the establishing. I, I totally agree. The tone, is, it's tricky to get it right, especially for this kind of movie. But it's like they do kind of walk the line, I think, the right way. And it's like the way they just sort of represent the daily lives of these people. And it's like, of course, Rick Moranis is way too wrapped up in his own work to realize that his kids are missing or something. You know, it's like I I just liked how uh, you're right, like the tone throughout is well done. And um, it's 
it's the kind of thing that they just kind of did better back in the 80s. I think we talked about this when we talked about Heaven Can Wait as well, where it's like today, you know, the movies are a reflection of our time. And it's just like the comedies are way more cynical and the dramas are, are a lot more biting and stuff. And it's like you don't have as much of the light entertainment that you used to. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't imagine a better time to live in the late '80s, and basically from the '80s to the mid '90s, before the peach, the uh, Clinton impeachment, it was basically pretty. Sweet it was good time. times ba- yeah. from Reagan through the Clinton impeachment. There was a nice little run there, and that's definitely reflected in the uh, maybe not in the early '80s because again, that's still you're still responding to Nixon. But yeah, you look at the movies that came out in the '80s and '90s, and there's just a, they're not saying there aren't horror movies or dark movies. But the, like the blockbusters, the the summer movies are definitely yeah. a generally lighter, funner tone, and that's where you see more sci-fi stuff. And that's where the Indiana Jones movies start coming in in the early nineties. You have Jurassic Park, it's Spielberg. It's yeah. it's kind of it's not kind of it is transitioning away from the big dramatic. Uh, I'm not saying even Scorsese to a degree. You're transitioning away from those big prime dramas, those period epics, those dra- and it's going more to the. It's a transition phase, but it's going to where we are now. It's big summer blockbusters. It's science fiction. It's yeah. IP, existing IP. It's a sequels. And I don't know where it's going with that. But this movie's kind of like at this I wanted to phase. ask you, um, who did you like the most of the kids? Because it's you know, and a lot of times in one of these movies, one of those kids would have probably turned into a star. But none of them really kind of hit. I think Amy O'Neill's been in a few other things. I'm so glad you asked this question, Seth, because I loved Amy O'Neill growing up. She was, like, my first crush. I thought she was so cool. There's something about her. I thought she was just, I was all on board. Big fan. Big fan of Amy O'Neill. <laughs> uh, a little, it's hard to say. Again, I, I didn't really have enough time to, to go into all their careers, but I will say this. I none was of them were surprised that to realize that upon rewatch, none of them went on to really do much, and I liked all of them. I, I honestly yeah. thought that Amy and the, I think it was, what's the younger brother's name? Uh, Ron. I think it's Ron is the old older brother, I think. Oh, Russ. Russ, yeah. Russ, the younger brother. I messed up. The younger Thompson. And Amy, yeah, I thought, were the best. But Amy was my favorite. I thought, I just thought that Ron and Nick were kind of weenies. And even now, like, they're fine. They're just not, I, I, I look at them better now. But I think Amy was the strongest character. Just like I would follow her if I was in the situation. I'd be like, I agree with you. I was like, when I watched the movie, I'm like, she's the one that sort of like doesn't seem like, uh, like just, like she's an amateur actress. Like she's the one that kind of seems like she has a little bit of depth when she's like delivering lines and stuff. But at the same time, it's like, I mean, I guess she's the type that it's easily washed away in Hollywood or something. It's like, I'm sure it's a competitive place. Maybe, you know, I have no idea. It's well, like, I don't know why some people make it and some don't. I'm not going to be cynical. I, I don't say this in a way that's supposed to be insensitive to her, but with everything that's come out recently, who's to say she turned down the wrong guy yeah or, yeah exactly and i'm not casting any i hope that doesn't cast any dispersions on her on her if anything i think that would be a testament to her character but it's sad and that's why we talked i think i talked about this there are some movies and actors and directors and creators i want to go back and look at their career and kind of understand what happened because <laughs> this movie was a huge hit she was a big part of it and she just never went anywhere it's blowing it's it's a little mind-blowing but I mean, the only. It, I mean, yeah, it's like I. I mean, it, it's like you think about the Goonies, and it's like you know, Corey Feldman's in that cast, and uh, so is uh, uh, what's his name, um, Josh Brolin's in that movie and stuff. And it's like usually in a movie where there's like three to five kids or something, like one or two of them usually makes it or something. But I thought it was interesting that this was a big movie that made a lot of money and has like you know four kids in the cast and. Uh, None of them turned out to be big. I actually, I was reading in the trivia 
there was actually supposed to be five kids, and one of them was supposed to die during the bee attack, and they cut that whole thing out. And I was like, yeah, that you can't have it. Wait, movie. did they film it and cut it out, or did they cut it out before? No, I think they cut the whole character. It was in the script, I think, and they just cut the whole character out. That's a different film. That's like the 2000s. <laughs> I was like, whoa. I was like, I want to see the Tim Burton version of this where you're killing kids out there. <laughs> that's, a, that's a 2000 version. But what is interesting is all four of the parents, the actors who played the parents, went and all have pretty good careers. The, yeah, that is true too. Yeah. And I, I liked all four of the parents actually for the most part. Yeah, they were great. The film did a great thing. And one of the things that I got to appreciate as I was watching this and thinking back to the first time, I kind of remembered more. A lot of it probably was an actual memory. It's probably me filling in the gaps. It's been a long time. But I remember feeling, it was probably just my own self trying to reinforce some of the themes. But I remember liking both sets of parents, but understanding they're kind of like diametrically opposed for, for reasons that I didn't understand as a kid. And now when I watch it, I, I didn't get the same amount of tension. Like there's tension there, but it seems more understandable and kind of inc incidental given what's going on. And the I one think they're kind of... I was just saying, I like both of the moms and I think both of the moms come off as stronger characters not only in those relationships but in the movie right the, the, I, think that, I think they were kind of trying to portray like these two neighbors you know i know what it's like when you have a neighbor and you're kind of like like a little bit at odds with each other you're not like totally friendly you know and i think that's kind of how it was where it's like oh you know this guy it's like my neighbor but then i think they kind of portray how they go from that to like actually embracing each other and kind of like making a larger group sort of thing where it's like actually when you like your neighbor it can be more fun it's like we're all hanging out together you know i love what you brought up there it wasn't something that i realized but now that you mention it it's all clicking it's the difference between a street and a community and it's yeah. the idea and i will say this having neighbors i mean everyone has neighbors it is this yeah. kind of weird political situation where you have this shared mutual interest yet at the same time you're both at each other's in some capacity, mercy. There's always something that it's like some neighbor is doing at all times. I don't know. <laughs> there is. And I don't, I'm not a homeowner yet. I've been, I've had many neighbors who were in apartments though. And growing up, I had neighbors, but I haven't been a homeowner with a neighbor. So there's certain things I just don't understand. But at the same time, I mean, we grew up in a town or my parents, at least, even though every house is on top of each other, I feel like there was a good fences make good neighbors trend. Yeah. And <laughs> And there was a polite respect. And my parents did have friends on the street. And there were some families we were very close with. But generally, like there, I had some neighbors who lived one or two houses down who I never spoke to or never met or never saw because I was we the same didn't way. face yeah. them. And it's just that was the way it is. And there was no animosity, but there was no love. But getting back to, to your point, there was a time where like more than half this, the houses on our street, all of the families were friends, all of the kids played together. And that created a more welcoming environment. And for a time, the street was, it was awesome to have that sense of community. And so yeah. I'm going to get off the soapbox now, but that was something that I really liked. And so it reminded me of my childhood. And I also liked the message that it was sending. Was that the, yeah, yeah, I think it's like, that's kind of the, if there is a subtext to it, I think there is kind of like, be kind to your neighbor kind of thing inside the movie. And it's like, it'll benefit your life and their lives. And it's like, I think there is some of that inside the movie, which it's like sounds corny, but it's actually it's like a solid message. <laughs> and the thing they do really well is we I, I think I mentioned earlier how the dads are kind of flawed, but you see they're both they're kind of at odds for 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 understandable reasons, but we as the viewer understand that they have more in common than they realize, and both feel kind of impotent to some degree, whether it's Rick Moranis not being able to sell his invention. Or the other dad literally not being able to lift up his arms on a, like a weight. There's just a level of, oh yeah, that and that's a, it's actually. I, I really actually like found that. both of them to be really funny in their own ways too. Miranda's kind of has his little shtick, but the other dad ad was funnier than I remember. That was a, I was gonna say I remember being kind of a rougher, not likable guy, but I really liked him, and I thought in this yeah, one I liked him more. He's always trying to like sneak a cigarette. Yeah, and to me, Rick Moranis was more the I don't want to say jerk he wasn't so much a jerk but i i as a kid i like rick moranis more as a, an adult i would want to hail matt brewer i wish he was if he was my neighbor i'd be pumped yeah i feel i'm just like now that i've aged i realize what that like kind of the deeper parts of that character i guess like oh you want to go drink beers and fish or go watch a football yeah. game yeah i love that do you want to go 
like work on my telescope. Nah, I'm good. I'm good, bro. <laughs> That's gonna be enough for me, dog. I do know. I feel like uh, this was kind of the movie that, like, I actually think John Candy passed on the part and and, and said that Rick Moranis should play it. Um, but it's like it would be a totally different movie with John Candy. But I do think this is the movie because uh, Rick Moranis like retired for a long time. Um, all right, Seth, you were saying you mentioned. That yeah, Rick, Rick, uh, John Rick Candy Moranis. passed this up, and Rick Moranis retired. Well, okay. <laughs> I think John Candy was originally supposed to be the lead, and he passed up for Rick Moranis. But I was going to say it led to this wild run in Moranis's career, which is like, you know, I mean, he has Little Shop of Horrors, Spaceballs, Ghostbusters 2, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Parenthood, uh, Honey, I Blew Up the Kids, The Flintstones, The Little Giants. All of those were like bigger movies than I think we all remember. <laughs> like, and uh, it kind of allowed him. And then it's like he he stopped doing live action stuff and did voice work for a while for like the last fifteen years or something. I want to say. And now he is signed up to be in a reboot of Honey I Shrunk the Kids with Joe Johnston, I think. But it's like this movie. I don't think he ever thought he was going to be the type of actor to make a lot of money. And I think that run he had, and part of it was this movie, is like what really allowed him to kind of retire early. He was a comedian, and he—he's he's really talented, honestly. Like he's way more talented than people realize. Oh, he's truly agreed, and he came from this generation of, of Canadian comedians, especially given the population relative to America, who really had success. And I'm talking about the John Candys, the Dan Aykroyds. And yeah, there, there others, short. yeah, and there are others I'm forgetting. And he was able to parlay that into a very successful career. And we kind of talked in other podcasts about Charles Grodin and these other actors who were kind of limited to their time. And I'm sorry, Rick Moranis couldn't have existed for a better time, except maybe if he were coming out <laughs> right true. now or in the last five years. Uh, the Being a nerdy, funny, a nerdy, funny, but still formidable character the eighties and early nineties, like the mid eighties to early nineties, that's his time. Like that it was, and it's, a, it's that. I think that's a great. Like, like we said, we both kind of thought Charles Grodin should have had. If you asked someone in the early eighties who's going to have a bigger career, Charles Grodin or Rick Moranis, everyone would have said Charles Grodin. But it's like at the end of the day, you know, Rick Moranis is one of these actors that kind of played over his head. I want to say it's like he has more hits than he would have thought he would have had. He did, and it is a little more versatile. He, he is. I mean, he's, he's got he's got singing chops. He's got all kinds of stuff he can do. That's the thing. I, I was gonna kind of dock him. He he is playing the likable dad a lot, and that is. I mean, nowadays he'd be a fat guy, but back then he was like a little dweeby. It was a little more dweeby, but at the same time, I actually time, find him hilarious in the Ghostbusters movie. I think he's I think he's really funny in both. Of those. But that but that's what I was gonna concede. It's not just that he plays a really funny character actor in, in Ghostbusters. I also, I mean, in space, in Spaceballs, he granted it's a joke, but he's playing the lead villain, and, he, and it works. He's he basically carries Spaceballs, honestly. Not much else is funny outside of the dark helmet stuff. Oh, in yeah. my opinion, I fully agree. And then also, I think he was on Saturday Night Live, or at least he hosted one. I mean, I'm not gonna give him too much credit for that. But outside of that, little little shop of horrors, while not my favorite movie, that was a big success. And to your point, yeah, that's he's a big success. Do a lot in that, like. Yeah, he, he he had a really good run, and then Little Giants. I mean, come on, you gotta be a fan of Little Giants. Little Giants. I'm a Jets fan, and I love Little Giants. Like, get over <laughs> yourself, people. What you you don't have two ears, eyes, and a heart? Like, what's wrong with you? I mean, the annexation of Puerto Rico is still my favorite play. Oh, it's also we're, we should we should do that movie soon. Talk about a great. Cast. That's a good. That would be a good one to do. But it's that's it's like when that came out. I mean, that's basically the, the football version of the Sandlot, right? Yeah. By the way, Icebox is hot now. Really? Look up Icebox it. and you'll be there. Oh, I got to do this right now. You got to do it right now. Sorry, guys. This is bad potting, but you need to hear this. You need to hear this reaction. <laughs> okay. Becky O'Shea with Shauna Waldron. Let's see what she Oh, wow. She did turn out well. What is she in these days? Looks like some soft core porn, but uh, <laughs> nothing I have seen. <laughs> it's a shame. It's a shame. Uh, it's interesting. Interesting. And Inter- well, yeah, I mean, 
I mean, know. you can't see it, but it's if you're really Google good it now, at Little Giants, I'll say she's beautiful. She really looks beautiful now. What's interesting is I thought she was a great actress then. And she's really good in the movie. And now she has this. She's cute in the movie. She's great in the movie. But if even then, I was like, oh, I don't think this girl's going anywhere. There isn't a huge market for the like that type of actress. But now she's like a stunning beauty, and I'm just surprised I've never seen her in anything. Oh, I do. I remember her in The American President, but that's also another trial part, which she's the daughter yes. of Michael Douglas she's in The American in President. She's good in that movie, too. Yeah, she's really good in that. She was really good as a kid. It's interesting she didn't make it uh, later on. All right, that is our ice. That's kind of like Joe Mazzelio. Okay, that's our icebox uh, thing. We're going to pivot <laughs> from there, bring it back to Rick Moranis. He had a great yeah. run. And, yeah, that's he kind of fell off the map. I ask you. I think he wanted to. I, I think he just was uh, kind of out of the game, sort of after Little Giants. I agree because uh, just looking at his looking at his IMDb here and career, I'm assuming he just got tired of kind of he was being pigeonholed in this kind of dorky thing. And as we talked about, he's very talented, very successful, and I could see him just being like, "I'd rather retire with my money and do what yeah. I want as opposed to being portrayed as this dork loser or whatever." I'm, yeah, I'm did, I think there, but. this was back in the time when you could really get stuck inside a franchise by a, a production company or something instead of sort of like being able to hand it off the way they do with these Marvel things now or something. But I think that might have been part of it that he just didn't like the projects he was getting offered and stuff. It's not going to make sense, but there were more studios back then, but less freedom because yeah. I think there was more communication between studio heads and there if you want to call it collusion, I don't know what you're... This, L.A. studios and Hollywood studios are notorious for being underhanded in all their tactics. Well, and also, back then, the relationships with agents, where it's like, you know, if you agent worked with one place, you wouldn't work with another place kind of stuff. Where that, it's like, that's a great point. It wasn't just like, oh, let's go work with Rick Moranis. There are a lot of other politics. Who does your agent have a relationship? Right. It was more relationship-based. Actually, I have no idea if it was more relationship-based. I just know that it is and was yeah. relationship-based. <laughs> So I'm, I'm going to take a step back. It is, it is interesting to me, though, that he might be coming back for a Honey, I Shrunk the Kids reboot. What do you think of that? I'm interested. We, we've talked about this with some other guys. I think Apparently Josh, come... Gad, Josh Gad's attached to that thing, too. Oh, that's a shame. Uh, <laughs> I, I actually like Josh Gad. I, I really He's a fun a guy pro- to make fun of, though. I have a problem with his selection of movies, though. Talk about yeah. someone who's really pigeonholed themselves. We, we, we can discuss... We can discuss that at a later time. Hey, Brooklyn loves Olaf, okay? Hey, I've got, I've got no beef with Olaf. I'm not saying he's not good. I'm just saying I might want more. I um, agree. I, he's kind of pigeonholed himself. But, but I, you know, I, 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 if they remake it, I wonder if Moranis just reprises the role or if he'll be like the grandfather or something. So I'm not going to put too much thought or worry into that. But I'm just going to say I think <laughs> we should create a new category – for people who we think are going to have that Twilight run. And when I say Twilight run, I'm talking about your Ian McKellen's here. I'm talking oh, about yeah. I'm talking about who you want to call her June BB. Like I'm talking about the the those silver foxes whom we love who are just reaching their prime. And I don't think Rick Moranis is necessarily hitting my list. Uh, but he could be up there. I mean, I could see him. If what if he knocks this out of the park? What if he has a cameo in Ghostbusters? Well, I was gonna say it'd be really, be yeah, that would map. be interesting too. It would be really cool. Um, I mean, I don't know if he's gonna make a full comeback and start taking other parts and stuff, but I've always thought it would be interesting to see him in a super dramatic part, like in a lead role or something, to see him kind of try to play against his type of like the funny nerdy guy. Um, I don't know if he'd ever be able to do that, but I think that would be interesting to watch. Okay, two things there. That to you is interesting, and, and two. What about Parenthood? Parenthood. I mean, he's kind of. He's it, not funny. Close. He is a very serious character. Yeah, it's that. it's close to what I would want. It's he's a little bit of a character in that movie still. Um, I, I think I, I yeah I think I and like that movie's still I would say a family comedy. I think it would just be interesting to see him in an actual dramatic role, where guess, he has to do intense scenes, kind of thing. Like, are we talking Danny DeVito in L.A. Confidential, or are we talking, like... Uh, I'm talking, like, uh, give me, like, a, um, 
Like, is is yeah. he the main guy? Am I, or is this Irishman? Am I gonna watch Robert De Niro? No, not like the Give me the movie where it's like his wife dies, and then uh, he's like he like falls in love with uh, somebody else. Or something. Oh, the Russell Crowe, a good year. Yeah. Okay. Something like that. No. Yeah. Where he he gets tortured, and then he has to refine himself. Okay. Every every uh, trauma. Okay, that's what I thought watched. you were saying, and I'm just gonna repeat my first question. That you want to see. <laughs> That movie with Rick Moranis. I just like, think it'd be who's starring you know, opposite him like... in that movie. Is it Leslie Nope? <laughs> actually, <laughs> actually, actually, I want to see that as a comedy though. I would have no interest in what Tina Fey. Wow. So you only want to see Rick Moranis in these in more wacky comedies is what you, and maybe musicals. I'm just saying I don't see him as the dramatic <laughs> romantic lead that you do, and the idea of a 60 year old Canadian comedian in a serious role. Is not All right, maybe maybe it should be a romantic story. Maybe it's like he maybe he loses his son and then he's got to oh, go adopt okay. his son. Okay, um, this is just you're not we're a, <laughs> agree to disagree. I, I I do not and I am not criticizing your interests because my interests. I know you have you don't care about what comic book character. I can't wait to see in the next movie. So I'm not. I'm you not, know, I'm, oh, that's another great idea. How about Ant Man's dad? Okay, now you're talking sense. Now. <laughs> You're talking Rick now Moranis. Rick Moranis in a new Marvel vehicle. My ears are perked up. We, we I can like find the a place idea of. Could, I, I think it would be awesome if they could connect him to the Ant-Man franchise and have him be the inventor of the technology or something. Okay, I need to do this. I think that, that could work in this world, and you could actually tie it into the MCU because around this time, it's in the late 1980s, 1989. That's the year. Actually, that's got that can't be a coincidence. That can't be. Yeah, you're right. And like the fact that Joe Johnston is attached to. And so Joe Joe Johnston directed an MCU movie, and the MCU. I'm not exactly sure how it works. They are famous for. No, James Gunn didn't direct the Avengers: Infinity War movie, but he had a huge input in how those characters were portrayed. Joe Johnston created Captain America. I'm sure he's had conversations with the people, not created, he created the movie version, but where I'm going with this, 1989, that year comes up in Ant-Man. That is the year that Henry Pym, Ant-Man, leaves S.H.I.E.L.D. So now all of a sudden, that movie oh, ties into this. So there's a connected... This is, we're, we're breaking news for the first time here, Jake. I believe that this reboot shrunk movie with Joe Johnston and Rick Moranis is going to tie into the Marvel Universe. I think we're breaking the news right now. A backdoor sequel? I think it's an Ant-Man connection sequel, reboot, whatever you want to call it. Okay, so quick story here. Talk about potential backdoor sequels. It is, I think, the boldest play you can make. Uh, I think Split is one of the best, best examples of a backdoor sequel that works. However... Yeah, it would be like a split thing almost. There was a movie that came out recently called Life. And in Life, long story short, it's this alien that can kind of grow. It's this weird, fantastic Oh, I, I've form. seen the movie, I think. And I heard this rumor that it was a backdoor sequel for Venom. And I watched the movie, and throughout the entire movie, I watched it with that lens, and I loved it. And then it ended, and it wasn't a backdoor sequel. And you, it, and it kind of exposed it. The movie wasn't that great. I didn't dislike it because it wasn't a backdoor sequel. Was this the I, one with Ryan Reynolds? Yes. I am yeah, saying I saw, that I saw and Jake Gyllenhaal. There's a crazy, he has a crazy death scene. A crazy death scene. But what I'm saying is that movie would have worked as a backdoor sequel. I think, I'm liking the idea. I mean, it depends on the idea and the execution. I think it might be happening. I think that might be what they're going for, honestly. That would, I would be all in. I would be all in on that. Oh, you, there's so much you can do. Okay. Rick Moranis, you turn me around, Seth. No, I didn't buy your Manchester by the Sea remake with freaking Rick Moranis. But I, I can buy an Ant-Man threequel uh, starring Rick Moranis versus maybe Michael Douglas and Paul Rudd. Uh, that, that I think that would be cool. Yeah, I like uh, I like where if, if that's where they're going with it, I kind of like, like the idea. So we went down a lovely rabbit hole here, but I think we should talk about Joey Johnson for a second. He's the sure, director. let's do Joe Johnson real quick. He's the director, and one of the things we talked about his other movies. So he has he comes from a technical background, and when it comes to the technical movies, he worked on the Star Wars, the Indiana Jones. He's the real deal. He 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 was part of that 
80s yep. movement. And this was his first film, as we said, big success. His other movies were The Rocketeer, Page Master, Jumanji, October Sky, Jurassic Park, Hidalgo, The Wolfman, Captain America, Not Safe for Work, and I'm not even going to talk about the Nutcracker. He's got he's a little hit or miss, but for the most part, I like his movies. I'll say I like I like the. It's interesting. He has some really well made bad movies, and I'm talking about The Wolfman and yeah, even Jurassic Park Three, which is a well made movie but not a strong one. I like Hidalgo and October Sky, but I think his best three are. I'm sorry. I was saying I liked Hidalgo and October Sky, yeah. but they weren't world beaters. Yeah, I think his best three are Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Jumanji, and October Sky. I would say Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Jumanji, The Rocketeer. Ooh. Okay. And then I would go October Sky, Captain America. And I actually really I agree. Like yeah, Captain, Captain America is the other good one. I like Captain America. Removing my Marvel bias, I put it five. If I was counting my bias, it would be much higher, but I'm trying to be unbiased. I agree. I, I'm, actually, I like the first one. Uh, I think it's a fine movie, and it's like... Uh, but yeah, I think his real kind of run was actually earlier, in kind of in the early 90s there. But the thing I wanted to call out was Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Jumanji and Jurassic Park are all very, like, fish-out-of-water stories. And then same yeah. with Captain America. Although, actually, it's not... It, not the first one so much, but then Captain America's period piece. So is the Rocketeer. You have Hidalgo, which is another period piece. Same with the Wolfman. And just a ton of action effects driven set, a lot of set work. And like all of it's good too. Like Jumanji, the set work, it's like almost a, it's almost a sequel to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids in a way where it's like they go into a real jungle. And I'm so glad you bring that up. His settings are a real character in themselves. And that's why I mentioned the technical yeah. work in all of those movies. Not all those movies are great, but none of them lack atmosphere and none of them lack a setting and they're all really engaging and engrossing in that way, which I love. And I think October Sky is the, an important one for him too because that's the one that's not effects or action driven and it's a pretty much a straight up drama and it's like, it's a pretty good movie. I, it's kind of the breakout for Hall. I think that movie holds up. That's one of the films, I don't know why it didn't do better. The budget seems a little high given the timing, and, and I'm, I'm assuming it went mostly to the cast. But it's one of those films, I would love to do a little more research and understand what it was competing against and what came out. I, well, I love the book, and the, I love the movie. Yeah, the book might have kind of overshadowed it a bit. The book was superior. And and it wasn't long. And I feel like every, I know we read it. I feel like a lot of high schoolers yeah. read it. I, I'm just but surprised I like the it movie too, better. yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean... Joe Johnston, he's a, I, I'll probably keep my eye on whatever he does. I'm definitely interested to see if they actually pull off this shrunk like reboot thing. Um, but it does seem like he's pushed more and more to do sort of effects-driven action movies. I wonder if he'll ever kind of go back to do a drama again or something. I'm interested to see what he does next. I'll be honest, I wouldn't mind seeing him come back to the MCU. So his Captain America movie, it didn't crush. But it did pretty well. It was, I, I think, pretty sure it was profitable. And but Winter Soldier and Civil War did better, though. I would think they did. But I, I think it's the Winter Soldier was a game changer, and then Civil War was really an Avengers movie with the number of characters That's they true. had there. And yeah. I'm not knocking. I love both those movies. But the thing that his movie did, even more so than Thor, especially given the way the next twenty movies unfolded, he set. Captain America up as the pillar. And while the movie wasn't successful, it was really well received by the audience and fans. And it was instrumental in the next. So no, it wasn't one of the most successful movies, but I, I would still contend it's one of the most important movies. I and agree. It it's not my favorite movie, but it is a good origin story, especially for that character and getting that character to modern day. I like the ending of that movie where he like wakes up in that place or whatever. That's one of the best. I actually think that might've been direct. Actually, no, that was directed by Joseph. That was one of the best, and one of the things there, just talking about that, again, he toggles, he changes the setting in a flash, but it, it works. He, he totally disorients us and the viewer, and it works. I'm talking about Captain America here, and I, where I'm going with that is I've talked about the setting, his tech, the technical prowess. He it's funny, he's using he tricks in that movie that, like, I feel like he's using similar tricks from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, where, like, the things he does to disorient you and stuff like that, I feel like 
it's funny how some of those things come back where you're like, oh yeah, this is the same director. Cause I, you know, I watched these movies. I didn't realize it was the same guy, but when you look at them, I can, I can see how it all kind of like fits for him. Yeah. I, I respect his game. And I, I would love to, I, where I'm going with that is I would interested to see what he does next. I would love to see him return to the MCU or if not, I would love to see him do something original. Have him do a cowboy movie or whatever he wants. It doesn't need to be action. Yeah. Also interesting that he's kind of not part of the new Jumanji movies because that first one was so successful. I was looking at his. He's been. He's done a lot of movies. He's touched a lot of franchises, but it doesn't seem like he's stayed. Whether it was yeah, yeah. the kids, Jumanji, uh, I don't know, the MCU. It's, yeah, he didn't do the sequels to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. It's interesting. He kind of does his movie and moves on. Yeah, he did Jurassic Park, too. I mean, he's touched four of the bigger franchises in the last yeah. 30 years, but he, he's really only done, touched them once. So that, I don't know and if he's, he's yeah, hard I mean, to work with, or maybe that's not his game. Maybe he doesn't want to be tied in to be a producer. Maybe he's a project at a time guy. That makes sense too. Maybe, yeah. He's got, yeah, that the, the Star Wars visual effects background is quite the thing to have on the resume over there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, to be honest, his technical resume is almost more impressive than his movie resume. It, yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, interesting guy. Um, anything else on Honey, I Shrunk the Kids you want to get into? No, uh, I, I think that does it. I, I think I'm ready to move into final scores. How about you? All right. Yeah, I think, I think we're good. Um, you want me to go first or you want to go? Uh, you went first last time. I'll go first this time. All right. This is getting a good nostalgia bump here. That's right. I said nostalgia. Um, <laughs> I'm going to give it a solid eight to. Wow. Nice. It, I, I was initially in the sevens, but, but I'm giving it a bump here. I, it aged, it's aged very well. Technically, thematically, the acting, the comedy, not perfectly, but really well. I mean, this is where I would say the lack of minorities is a little worrisome, even in the boardroom. Yeah. But again, that's uh, it's unfair sometimes to judge them through a lens. Because I will say one of the things this movie does really well is I think it makes the female characters very strong and not in a way that feels forced. But it, to me, it works. And so I'm not docking it. As I've said, there's some serious nostalgia uh, points for me. So eight point uh, 8.2, I said, right? Yep. I think I'm. I'm think I'm like in the seven. I'm going to give it a 7.4. Nice. nice. I think the majority of the points I'd give it to are is definitely on the technical side, the directing, the set work, uh, the visual effects. I think it's for the time. It honestly doesn't feel dated at all. You showed the, like I showed this to Brooklyn. She bought all of the effects for the most part. Maybe, you know, maybe some of the stuff with the ant and the scorpions a little ham handed, but most of the stuff in the backyard is very believable. All the shrinking is really cool that all the tricks they use to do that is really well done um and also yeah i like that we kind of got into a little bit of the subtext about like sort of like being neighbors in america and just like kind of what the movie was actually saying i think was interesting to get into so i think it's like and it works for kids too like i think you can watch it as an adult or a child so it's like when you have that wide of a net you're always doing something right in a movie so Definitely worth watching for anybody. So I'm going to go 7.4, 8.2 from Jake. Definitely a big movie for both of our childhoods, I want to say. Yeah, it's <laughs> instrumental for me. Uh, I think I've said that a million times, so I'll stop. But yeah, definitely, definite <laughs> recommends from both of us. All right. I think that does it. Sakula, would you like to say anything to the people? Goodbye, people. That, I don't know if you heard that, but it's not what you think it was, Sak. It wasn't my vape rolling off the table. <laughs>